Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. We are so proud and inspired by the fact that our listeners want to grow, learn, and make a difference in the world in so many ways. You know you have a lot to contribute, and you may be searching for ways to shake things up in your life and the world in general. That's why we know you'll be so excited to listen to the next half hour. Our guest on this episode, Michael Bungay-Stanier, is the author of the best-selling book, The Coaching Habit, and the founder of the training and development company, Box of Crayons, which has taught coaching skills to hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And his newest book is called How to Begin, Start Doing Something That Matters. Michael, we thank you so much for joining us. Oh, look, I'm very excited to be here. And I just love how well you pronounced my name. I mean, <laughs> I have this complicated surname that gets wrong most of the time. The, the low point being when somebody introduced me as Michael Banging Spaniel. Which was, <laughs> but which did was you like, remember it? Clearly which you is, did. Yeah, it was like a, a win. <laughs> it exactly. It's a high point and a low point at exactly the same time. Um, but thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, Michael, we want to know more about your, your latest book, How to Begin. First of yeah. all, why do we need a book to tell us how to begin? Isn't it something we automatically know and understand? <laughs> well, I, it's probably true. I mean, most of us know how to get up in the morning and kind of get going. But this book is about helping people claim and name their ambition for themselves and for the world. You know, part of what the pandemic, amongst other things, has brought on is people going hey, how's my life doing? <laughs> and am I happy with it? And am I doing the things and having the legacy and making the difference that I want to have in this life? And, you know, there are so many things to kind of pull you back to the status quo and to the grind of it. So How to Begin is a book about claiming this ambition for yourself and for the world, setting a worthy goal, something that is thrilling and important and daunting, and in the end, at the very heart of it, I think, is this idea that we unlock our greatness by taking on the hard things. So how do you find the right hard thing for you? Not so just that you make the world a bit better, but you actually allow the very best of yourself to come forth. The cover is one of the coolest things that I have ever seen. <laughs> oh, thank and you. And I, agree. and I really think that we need to tell our audience about it if they don't have it in front of them. So can you explain it a little bit and the significance behind it? Sure. So book covers mean a lot. I mean, authors just love them because it's their book. But you know, you know, when they say you can't judge a book by a cover, actually, that's what happens all the time. <laughs> People look at the cover <laughs> of a book and they're like, I like it and I don't like it. Uh-huh. So it's got, it's, it's got to work. You've got to be able to read the title and the like. And uh, when the guy, Peter, who designs the book, came back to me and went, here are my first go at the titles. I was like, covers. I was like, yeah, you know, they're okay. There's nothing bad here, but nothing's really funny or clever or inspiring about them, go away and have another go at it. And we brainstormed some ideas. And what I love about what he's done is he's actually started the book on the cover of the book. So you've got this 
kind of big sign that says how to begin in, in kind of glossy yellow. And then the, on the front of the book, it says the book starts now right here on the cover. You know why. You know that you have more to contribute. You want to shake things up and make a difference for yourself and for the world. You want to learn and grow. You want to be a force for change. You're ready to begin. Open the book and start doing something that matters. And honestly, when Peter sent me that, my heart melted. <laughs> I was like, that's exactly the cover I didn't even know I wanted, but it's so right. good. Yeah. So thank you for noticing that. Yeah. It was the one I didn't know that I needed to see. Thank you. <laughs> Why should your worthy goal be something that is thrilling and important and daunting? Well, I think that combination creates something that has a robustness and a, and a motivation internally and externally that can be really powerful. So if it's thrilling, it lights you up. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, this would be exciting. This would speak to my values. This is who I want to be as a person now and in the future. So it's, it gives you that nourishment. And it also acts as a, a foil, if you like, to kind of a sense of obligation. Because so often when we get to certain times in our life, there's this sense that, ah, oh, I should be doing this or I ought to be doing that or it's expected of me that I should now be taking this on. And thrilling is just about owning that this is what I want to do. But if it's just that, then it can be a little indulgent. And so important is all about how does this worthy goal give more to the world than it takes? And so this is about getting beyond just yourself and going, how do I make a, a dent in the world? How do I make my world a little bit better? It doesn't matter whether your world is your, your family or your local community or something that you're doing in your work job, or if you're, I know, heading off to Glasgow to kind of join the environmental activists there. It's like, how do you make sure that your worthy goal actually makes the world better than you found it? The third element, daunting, is about, look, how do you, how do you stretch yourself and grow? <laughs> how do you get a little sweaty when you think about doing this? Because I don't just want you to be nourishing yourself and contributing to the world you grow by taking on the hard things. So how do you find a goal that has got the appropriate heft so that you go, look, I know how to start this, but I just don't even know how to finish it. Because that's where the learning happens. I feel like right now this book is needed more than ever. You have so many people who experience depression and other mental health crises during the pandemic, and they want to start, but it's difficult for them to. And at the beginning of the book, you address right off the bat that as we get older, it's hard to be ambitious. So how can we overcome that challenge, open the book and start? You know, when, I, when I was writing this, um, and as an author, it's really helpful if you've got a, a specific type of person in mind that you're writing for, because you can write for them. You know, I'm writing for Laura because Laura is in this part of her life and she's trying to do this sort of thing. But with this book, I, was, I think there are almost three different types of people that I, I was writing for. One of them is definitely the people who are you know, towards the end of their career, where they're kind of going, look, I've, I've had a career, I've worked, I've made some money, I've got a title or something like that but I'm about to retire and I've, I've still got 20 or 30 really good years ahead of me. What, what do I do with that? How do I not kind of slide and into a kind of deteriorating retirement, but how do I make the most of my experience and my vitality and, and my ambition? But, you know, equally, I'd, I'd love this book to be resonant for those kind of Gen Z folks who are thinking to themselves, all right, I'm out of school or I'm, I'm young. 
I'm naive. I don't know what's going on, but man, this world needs to be fixed. <laughs> I need to do stuff here. <laughs> and, and how do I give them some structure to kind of go, where will you put your time and attention? And then there are people probably like me who's kind of in the middle of that going, look, I'm, I'm in my midlife and I've got a lot of stuff going on because we all do. We have families and jobs and commitments and the like, but I don't want to just grind my way through it. I wanted to be doing stuff that is nourishing for me and contributive. So this is, book is meant to kind of give you permission to sink into this and go, look, I'd like to be ambitious. I'd like to think about how I'm spending my time because this is it. I get one shot at this life. How do I have some structure to figure this stuff out? Why is it important to write all of this down, to not just have it swirling around in your brain and in your mind just before you go to sleep, but to really think about it and put it down yeah. on paper. Well, let me ask you, let me turn the tables and ask you, you know, when you look at the times in your past where you've written stuff down versus just having it kind of swirling around your head, what's the difference for you? What do you notice? Oh, it's, it's a thousand percent better. My mom is the most <laughs> well-organized human being I know. And one of the things she tells me all the time is to write things down. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm more of the swirling thoughts at the end of the right. night. And God, I got to write this down, but then I don't. And I see the benefits of that, of her way. And, and you can always have in your mind like, well, I really want to change the world. I want to do this. I want to do that. But if it's just swirling around in your brain and you haven't captured it on paper and really thought it through... Um, I, I think a lot of, lots of times it goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. and so you, you can think through something so many times and feel like you have it down. Right. And then the next day you just don't. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of a paradox because I mean, one thing, look, if you're worrying about it, sometimes just writing it down is a way of calming down the worry because we have an ability to catastrophize and make things bigger and more complicated and more worrisome than they might be if they're just swirling around their head. But if you're coming up to a worthy goal, writing it down does a few things. It, it both makes it more real and more tangible and more malleable. You get to start playing with it. Because I know for me, when stuff's swirling around in my head, I'm like, okay, I think I got it. I think it's brilliant or exciting enough. Ah, you know, I just kind of let it sit in my head. As soon as I write it down, I'm like, okay. Well, that's a commitment. <laughs> I, can feel the, I can feel the dauntingness of it just by writing it down. It feels more real right away. But then I go, but you know what? It doesn't quite feel right yet. So part of the process that I talk about in the book is going through one or two or even three drafts of your worthy goal to tighten it up. Because I can almost guarantee that the first time you write down a worthy goal, that will not be the final definition of your worthy goal. First draft, always a bit crappy. You want to work it and change it and need it and really kind of make sure that this is a worthy goal that is thrilling, important, and daunting. How can we test those goals along the way? Well, I've got a few tests that I think can be helpful. So not all of them are helpful for all the goals, but I've got three that I really love. The spouse-ish test, the FOSO test, and the Goldilocks zone test. So the spouse-ish test, if you're lucky, you've got somebody in your life who is that person who kind of just really knows you. They get you. They've seen you. They know your patterns. They, they still laugh at some of your jokes. They've heard all your stories. And they're just a person who you can triangulate your ambition against. So that one of the tests is you just go imagine as a, as a thought experiment or in reality to go and tell that person 
your worthy goal. And I reckon when you do that, you're going to get one of three different reactions. One is you're going to get them to go, look, Michael, brilliant. I love it. That's fantastic. Go for it. This is such a good expression of who you are. Go forth and you know, prosper. And I'm like, okay, great. It's nice when that happens. Sometimes they go, well, yes, Michael, great. But honestly, you've been talking about this for years now. Would you stop yapping on about it and just get on with it, please? You're driving me nuts. So you've got that kind of encouragement with that kind of dash of irritation, which is also helpful. And sometimes you get them saying, absolutely not. What are you thinking about? That is a nuts idea. You absolutely do not want to be doing that. Here's the critical thing with these tests. They're not the truth. That, those reactions aren't the truth. It's just somebody's feedback to you, somebody's reaction. You know, the, the book I'm best known is called The Coaching Habit. And when I told Marcel and my wife of 30 years now that I was going to write this book, she's like, absolutely not. That's a terrible idea. You're so far behind on everything else. You haven't done, you personally owe me 63 emails. Get your life in <laughs> together. And then we can talk about writing the book. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely writing the book now. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. So it was just helpful. Even hearing her say no, it's just made my, my commitment to the yes even stronger. Wow. So, so the spouse ish test is good for the thrilling. Like, is it going to light you up? The FOSO test. And the FOSO stands for for the sake of. And this is really good for testing the importance. When you've written down your worthy goal, ask yourself, well, for the sake of what would I be doing this? The sake of, you know, what's, what's at the heart of this? What's the contribution to this that makes this really worthwhile? And then the third test, the Goldilocks zone. In astronomy, when the, uh, the smart people are looking for exoplanets, you know, other planets around other stars, they're looking for a planet in the Goldilocks zone because the Goldilocks zone is when the planet's not too close to the star that all the water boils off and it's not too far away. So all the water freezes, but it's liquid because liquid water means life. So when you take that to looking at your test, you're really asking, does this test have the right heft? You know, not too small that it's easy, not too big that it's just massive and overwhelming. Has it got just the right level of inspiration and challenge that would grow you? So, I mean, to give you an example, my bet is that when you two started, nobody told me as a podcast, which I would guess would be a really great, worthy goal. You had certain plans for it, which is like, okay, this is exciting. You know, Jan's experienced journalist, so she knows a bunch of stuff, but this whole idea of working together and a mother and daughter relationship and starting a podcast and growing an audience. Well, that would have been something when you started it, you know, those years ago. Now, if I ask you, well, what's your worthy goal now for nobody told me, well, it's grown and it's changed and it's different because it's got a different heft now because you're differently ambitious about what you dream for around this podcast. What do you think typically prevents people from taking that step to achieve their worthy goals or even to writing them down and, and making an effort? That's a big question, actually. I think that you could look at a, a range of different things. Sometimes it's, it's just not feeling that you have permission to be ambitious, you know, for whatever reason, structural or personal. You just go, nobody's told me that this is okay for me to be able to do this. Sometimes you've made a start and you've got a little bogged down with your worthy goal and you've just kind of lost your mojo around it. So you kind of get distracted and the pull of the status quo 
it's strong. <laughs> I mean, it's got a it's got a heavy gravity. So you've always got people who are tugging at your your shirt and asking for your attention and asking for your time. So it takes a degree of courage to say yes to a worthy goal, because this is this is such a powerful and essential question. It's like if you're going to say yes to this, what must you say no to? And that I think it can be one of the one of the challenges in taking this on because sometimes when you're saying no to stuff, you're saying no to something or to somebody where you're like that's difficult. But what you're doing is you're claiming time and space and focus and resource for yourself because you're saying basically I'm worth it. How can we accurately assess prizes and punishment in a way that's mm. realistic but it's not discouraging? Yeah. So I love that you're pointing to the middle section of the book, which is around how do you figure out whether to commit to this or not? And I think this is often where we get stuck as well. So I love that you're pointing to it, which is because I I don't know about you, but I've certainly come up with, you know, goals in the past where I'm like, oh, I'm so excited about this. (laughs) And then, you know, after a a month. Yeah, day two. Or, you know, the classic is New Year's resolutions, right? And so that's why, why January the 21st is they say the most depressing day of the year because a your new year's resolutions are, are in dust and you get the credit card bill from december so you're like, oh, oh my gosh i love this it is, this is grim yeah so i think this idea of weighing up the prizes and punishments which is kind of my language for you know the pros and cons and you're looking to weigh up two different things one of them is totally counterintuitive and it's this one Having defined a worthy goal, you got really excited about it. You're like, yeah, thrilling, important, and daunting. You then ask yourself, what if I didn't take this on? You know, I, I see it and I'm going to walk away from it. What are the prizes and punishments of that? So you look at the prizes, you're like, oh, well, I maintain the status quo and I stay safe and I don't ruffle anybody's feathers. That's, that, there's some good things there. But what's the punishment of not taking this on? I don't get to do the thing. I don't get to make the difference. I don't get to be the better version of myself. You need to weigh that up and go, is it worth it? You know, does, does the, 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 uh, the punishment of not taking this on outweigh the prizes? And then you flip it around and you do it. Imagine that you fully committed to this worthy goal, prizes and punishments. Well, prizes are you get to make a difference, be your best self, you know, change the world, whatever your part of the world might be, have all of that. But the punishments is where you actually look at what's at risk, what might go wrong, what's, what, where the danger is. And unless you look at both of those weighing up, the prizes and the punishment, you're, you're sometimes being a bit naive or a bit blind to what your commitments might be. Weighing them both up allows you to get a true sense of your commitment to the worthy goal. You wrote the book, How to Begin, As Your Father Was Dying. And I'm wondering what impact that had on you and the book itself. Yeah, thanks for well, thanks for reading the book the whole way through because <laughs> uh, the very last <laughs> chapter of the no, book. No, it is fascinating. How, yeah. how couldn't we? Yeah. Oh well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And honestly, for, for me in this book, I feel like I have won already because I got uh, as my dad lay dying with my mum. I got he he read the final chapter that I wrote in kind of an homage to him. So it was a really moving uh, moment for, for all of us because, I mean, how lucky am I to, to kind of, in my very best words, 
tell my dad how much I loved him and how much he influenced me. Um, so it was, it was a pretty special moment. Um, wow. my, my dad has, um, well, for one thing, he's been one of my great champions. So as I've em- <laughs> em- em- embarked on worthy goals, I've always felt that he's been a champion for me. Even as he goes, I don't know, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> it sounds slightly <laughs> nuts, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you rather than against you. And I think what I also love about him, uh, many things, but he, he was a, a quiet and private man. You know, unlike me, who has a kind of like, oh, I like being on a podcast interview. I like being on a stage. He had none of that. He was like, I'm not interested in any of that glitz or glimmer. Um, but he, in his quiet way, lived a life of real commitment to worthy goals. He really made a difference. He had a life of service. And he was really clear about how that ennobled him and played to his strengths and how it made his communities better and how he grew as a man and as a parent and a contributor in all those sort of ways. So, you know, for me, he is, he is a he is the big role model in my life. So it was very significant for me to be able to share this book with him and have him read that last chapter in particular. The way that Americans and Brits will view a topic and begin something mm. is different. How is that? And why should Americans read your mm. book? And, and what will they get? that they maybe wouldn't get from an American coach? So the question's a really good one, which is like, okay, so what might, how might this book strike an American audience maybe differently from a Canadian or an Australian or, or a British audience? Well, you know, ironically, when I, when I lived in America, I lived in Boston for, for three years, I remember touching down here in Boston and just going, I can already feel a way that ambition exists in America that didn't in England where I, I'd been living for the previous six or seven years. So in some ways, I, I, it might be that this book, I, it really feels the influence of you know, living next to America, living in America for a while, because it is about claiming, claiming uh, that ambition. Um, but maybe it's influenced by the kind of other countries a little bit by going it's not just about you and your ambition and your achievements and your trophies. It's about how do we contribute to that bigger, better world as well. So maybe there's a kind of hybrid global experience there. At least that's what I hope. How do you advise people to keep going, to keep pursuing their ambition if they're struggling, if they're finding it hard? And I know you say the, the hard part is a good thing and that the yeah. perceived backward steps are actually moving us forward, which yeah. thank you for saying that. I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I mean, it will be difficult. You're taking on something that is thrilling and important and daunting. So you will be stepping out to the edge of your competence and your confidence and your comfort and your experience. So you, you need to expect to be some great times, you know, when you're like, oh, I love this. This is so exciting. There are other times where you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing here and I'm struggling a little bit. I think there's a couple of things. One is to say, look, you do have permission to stop doing this. You don't have to pursue this, you know, regardless and endlessly. You can pivot. But, but don't rush to that, you know, sit with it. And for me, I found one of the most powerful things to do is to, A, just recognize that the journey is going to be a bit of a, a, a crooked one. This isn't like typing in your destination into your, your Google Maps GPS and then just going, it's a straight line from A to B and this is how you do it. 
But secondly, I think there's something really great about deciding who you travel with. Don't travel alone. You know, build people around you who can give you feedback, who can give you encouragement, who can provide comfort and love and encouragement when you need that, who can provide fierceness and a kind of strength when you need that. I mean, it's one of the things you know, I, I, I look at the two of you and, you know, I'm only, I'm imagining this, so I'm maybe projecting it, but there's something about creating something, co-creating something that is powerful and difficult, but it means that you get to support each other, to have each other's back. And, um, you know, somebody like me, who's a little more inclined to do the solo stuff, even though I, I should know better. I have some envy, actually, when I look at what you've created as a, as a partnership. Wow. Well, thank you for that. Well, and yeah. I, think, I think we've learned a lot about each other's strengths in a way that we didn't as a daughter. I didn't know, right. you know how good my mom was as a broadcaster, as a journalist, because I yeah. was too young to remember that. And so seeing this part of her is really beautiful. Right. And, right. and for me as a mom to see you just blossom and, and to see how you approach an interview differently than I do. We, we do our right. research separately. We, we, we never talk we never about our, our never, or, never, never, never. Oh, that's anything. so interesting. We, yeah, yeah. But, and it's always amazing to me because Laura will come up with something that I didn't even think of or she'll, yeah. she'll have an approach to it that I didn't, didn't even think of. So, yeah, it's fun. But that's not to say that, you know, we haven't had, you know, difficult times or times where we stepped on each other's toes. And right. it's and life. There's a, kind right. Of, there's a kind of two levels to it. One is... The, the 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 content area, which is you know, you prepare for the interviews differently and you show up and you see each other evolve and change and flourish as as interviewers. So you've got that content level. But then there's that kind of support around the project itself, where you're sitting down together going, What are we trying to do here? What are our dreams for this podcast? Who would be an amazing guest? How do we want to change and evolve this podcast? So you get to have those conversations as well, those strategic plans. And I think that is part of the magic. Right. Right. I agree. And I've listened to your interview with Brené Brown three times and I had oh, before you. we found out that you would be a guest. So <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited and have learned a lot from you. So, you. so because of that, we're so excited to ask you our signature question. Mm. What is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about how to begin that you wish you'd known and you want to pass on to our audience? Yeah, I, it, it repeats a little bit of what I've been talking about, but nobody told me the power of having people around you to push you forward and encourage you during the hard things. You know, I had this wiring, I still do a little bit around kind of like, you know, make your own path, strike out alone, be the, be the hero of your own journey. And I just, I wish I'd learned earlier and more deeply what it means to have the, the to, to build a band to have the right people around me so that I'm not doing this alone. And Michael, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet and find out more about not only your new book, but your other work? Well, thank you. So the new book, um, howtobegin.com is the website for that. And there's some freebies and stuff that people can get and resources and, and the like. For more general stuff about me, mbs.works is the, is the website. And that's also the social media handle as well, at mbs underscore works. All right. Well, we thank you so much, Michael. This has been an absolute joy. And as we told you at the beginning, we have like a thousand questions to ask you. So we would, we would <laughs> love it if you come, come back. Come on again. Yes, we, we would oh, love, I love that. Again. 
That would be amazing. Of course, I'd love that. Thank you. Okay, perfect. Well, let's see if anybody li- likes this episode because you may get a whole lot of mail going. Please do not invite Michael back again. In which case, <laughs> I, you can you can quietly you can you can not tell me. <laughs> there we go. Just the- <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> again, our thanks to Michael Bungay Stanier, whose newest book is called "How to Begin: Start Doing Something That Matters." I'm Jan Black, and I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.